Welcome to The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Today, as part of our family, you will experience the life-changing and spirit-nurturing Word of God. Please enjoy this time with us as we're committed to helping you grow in knowledge, grow in faith, and grow in God. St. Mark Baptist Church, you grow here. Well, hello and welcome back to the Growth Factor podcast, a broadcast ministry of the St. Mark Baptist Church here in Little Rock, Arkansas. My name is Pastor John. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at St. Mark, and I'm here with our senior pastor, Dr. Philip L. Porter, Sr. And we're continuing a series that we've called It's Not Just Black and White. And we got a special episode this go round because we're going to be talking about music and not just music but the sacred and secular divide in music. P, I know you may have grown up uh, with conversations around sacred and secular music. This isn't a conversation that is new to us as a people and also not new to the church itself. There's always been conversations around what denotes secular music and what scripture has to say about it and whether or not as Christians we can listen to secular music. So this should be a good one. Yeah, man. It 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 it's a wrestling match for many people um in and around this. Now I, I had the privilege of growing up, John, in a house with a pastor father who um was pretty clear on the teaching of scripture and those matters like like we're gonna talk about uh, tonight, which are matters of conscience. Uh and so we were not forbidden mm -hmm. uh, as many others were um, and and certainly we were uh, given some space and liberty uh, to to enjoy all kinds of genres of music because that's one of the things that we need to address um, is it only just church music because if if not then it has to be all the genres that we have to avoid uh, and and that's going to be that's going to be an interesting uh, discussion tonight. Yeah, and, and always, as always, we generally want to begin with talking about the history of music because mm -hmm. uh, history has been, uh, music has been around throughout uh, history and human history, and then walk through a biblical account of what the Bible has to say about, uh, about music. And we are going to find that we're going to be discussing worship, mm -hmm. but also we'll be discussing uh, secular music in the context of what Scripture has to say. Absolutely. So I really want to just begin, though, as we always do with history and talking about the history of music itself. And the oldest extra biblical account of music really comes around 3000 B.C. in Sumerian culture, where there was a development historically of musical schools mm -hmm. and instruments. So they, they actually created schools and instruments in ancient Samaria in order to record, play and have people enjoy music. As a matter of fact, the oldest artifacts that we found um, architecturally um, has been came from Abraham City. Yep, Ur the yep. Chaldeans. Ur, yes, indeed, the, the same place where Babel Tower Babel mm -hmm. is constructed. That's early in that um, in human history. You'll see those instruments. It's always been a part of the human experience. Is what we're trying to get at. Right. <laughs> it's always been a part <laughs> of the human experience. In fact, um, in, in Genesis. Uh, four, it describes one of Cain's sons, yep. and it says he's actually the progenitor. He's the father of musical uh, musical instruments, and we'll get we'll get to the Bible side of that. Sure. Uh, but it, it's always been a part of of humankind's expression, yeah. Um, yeah. both both religiously and otherwise. Yeah, and we've also saw it show up in ancient Egypt, mm -hmm. where they would express themselves through music, and their instrument of choice was actually the harp. Mm -hmm. uh, in the ancient Near East, they found musical expression through political and social events, yep. including coronations, family festivals, funerals, weddings, military victories. Listen, y'all ain't the only ones that used to have wedding coronations with music. Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. I, I wanna, I'm, I'm anxious to get to the, to the Bible side, I'm, but I'm holding my peace because they, what we must realize is that music as a means of expressing expressing celebration and lament mm. have always been a part of the human the human experience how we've expressed um, those 
emotional and psychological areas of, uh, of our lives, and, and we've sought to understand the world mm. <laughs> and understand ourselves and then understand God through the medium of music. Mm. Yeah. Here's another thing that um, I saw in some of the research that I was doing around music is that people actually would hum songs or play music while they're doing monotonous work. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like, you know, mama woke up on Saturday mornings and started playing Aretha Franklin. Exactly. You knew you knew what was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Work was going to happen on that. Absolutely. So so that's what we would see in um, ancient Near East culture. They would they would do this to help them take their minds off of what they were doing. And and even to set pace. I mean, you you get into the under rowers um, on ships where you have the under rower. um, The beat is determined by a man beating the drum, how fast the ship uh, is going based on how fast the rowers are rowing, and they're rowing in unison to the beat of the drum. There were songs even sung then to those beats uh, that that those who were under rowers were generally slaves or, or prisoners um, to, mm. to make that very hard work more bearable. Now, we're going to talk about music, rhythm, and culture. <laughs> but you know, in Western context, there's always this running joke that some people have rhythm <laughs> and some people don't. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so we're gonna we're gonna talk about music and culture from a black church perspective because mm-hmm. that is our context. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I think it's very helpful for people to understand the history of music in the black church as we talk about the sacred and secular divide and understanding ancient culture and then helping us to understand our culture hopefully will help people understand how important music has been mm-hmm. for us from the very beginning. From the very beginning. And and when you back up, you know, you hear of, I want to remind people that these ancient cultures we're talking about are African. So Sumerian and, 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 and Egyptian and Ur of the Chaldees, these are, these are African contexts to begin with. Music then comes forward, you know, music that is traditionally... Um, associated with Europe, the Moors brought Baroque music to, to Europe, um, and and much of the of the historically uh, celebrated um, symphony, symphonic music, and and other things, again are have their origin in Africa. I mean, if humankind has its origin in Africa, then everything else uh, that that comes from the human diaspora also has, and so that 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 ability to create or to recreate, reshape forms of music, both melody and rhythmically, mm-hmm. is generally associated with um, black folks in the U.S. because yeah. all music that is considered U.S. music came from black folk, mm. yeah. <laughs> even when performed by white folk. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. so when we're discussing history, generally we talk about where folks came across the water mm-hmm. and how that expression of mu- expression of what they're doing um, changed once they got to the Western context. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about the Puritans, all these folks came over voluntarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We came over involuntarily, involuntarily, and I'm being nice. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah we <laughs> we, we were pillaged nice and sold uh, into slavery, and I, I really do believe our musical expression began not once we got here, but during the Middle Passage. Very much so. As we're on the ships, in the bellies of the ships, in these dark, dank dungeons, um, most of these folks, some of them were for different tribes, mm-hmm. but they understood the hum mm-hmm. of another tribe. Yeah. So what they, they were able to clearly communicate in ways that they may not have when they were not in the bellies of these ships. In, in fact, it, uh, Wintley Phipps, who uh, pastored uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church in D.C. and was famed for his bare, you know, baritone voice, he was also a music historian, um, mm-hmm. Wintley Phipps used to describe how African melody could be played on the black keys of the piano. Mm-hmm. So, so those from the western side of the continent, their melodies, no matter what tribe, could be played on the black keys of the piano. It it then comes forward um, that the melody to Amazing Grace, yeah. which was 
supposedly written by a, a man who was who was a former slaver who was you know who was uh, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and wrote Amazing Grace. Um, that's why he calls himself a wretch because of his sorrow over uh, his participation in the slave trade. Mm-hmm. But that melody is black key melody. Black, it's African melody, and it it uh, Wintley Phipps talks about how, given the nature of that song, he probably heard that. Mm-hmm. over and over again on those ships that that tune that is amazing grace was an african funeral dirge probably yeah or song of sorrow yeah um and then it became the the worldwide phenomenon that it is that we all sing and love yeah and that story probably isn't told enough we mm-hmm. we talk about a lot how many people arrived mm-hmm but we don't talk about the 1.4 million people who didn't, who never made it here stateside. Yeah, right. Which right. you know, they they say mythologically that there was a you can track the sharks' mm-hmm. uh, journey from Western Africa to um, over here to the east side of the United States based on the Middle Passage because they were thrown into the water or jumped into the water and were eaten by sharks. Yeah, and, and we really don't discuss the lament. Mm-hmm. that comes out of that. Uh, we'll talk about that here yeah. in just a second yeah. in some of the hymns that they talk about, but this is why I wanted to talk about that before we address the uh, slavery and mm-hmm. the invisible institution of the church mm-hmm. that really showed up during slavery. Right. Uh, we talk about this in our black church class that we just finished in the Roddy Collins School of Ministry, but this invisible institution really was a subversive private group of folks going out to what are called bush arbors yep in the country in the woods to have church services yeah yeah john i i, I say it all the time um but i want to say it again we talk about it often but i don't know if we if people really understand that slaves those who were enslaved their masters did not want them to be christians because that would have made them a part of the Christian family, which means they could not treat them in certain ways. This is why the slave Bible has the entire book of Exodus ripped out and and large portions of Scripture are ripped out of the Bible because they did not want them to be Christians because Christianity, the message of Jesus Christ, is inherently liberational um, and and such. So uh, they went down to these bush harbors, and, and again, this is the origin of, of hooping, of tuning up. For sure. Um, I've, I've told St. Mark this a few times and others uh, individually who ask, well, where does that come from, Pastor? Why are you doing all that singing at the end of your sermon and stuff <laughs> like that? What's that? It's, it's, part of our, it's part of our tradition. They would go to these bush harbors, and the preacher was not supposed to be a preacher. Mm-hmm. So he would intonate. He would intone his voice while he was preaching, and the congregation would respond in tone in intonation mm-hmm. and it was a that's the call and response of what we call hooping yeah. um so it's part of a, it's a part of our heritage it's part of our history and uh you know I, I get that some people say oh i don't like that i don't need all that i do mm. i need it mm. i like it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it 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 was an act of resistance it was an act of of um righteous resistance against that ugly institution of slavery and it was hopeful. That's why it started slow mm-hmm. and it's slow wine. If you hear traditional hoopers slow wine into a crescendo and celebration, um, that was that was how they preached without being known to be preachers. Yeah, yeah. And, and these bush harbors would happen between eight and midnight, mm-hmm. where they would sneak out and they would find either a place in the woods. They would actually take out take pots out with them mm-hmm. so that they could sing in and shout in the pots so that the slave masters could Couldn't not hear. hear them. Yep. Uh, so they had this really system that they had mm-hmm. set up so they could worship the God that they knew that mm-hmm. the white man was keeping away from them. And some of the, the hymns or the songs that came out of that really came out of their experiences. And, and John, let me back it up. One, one more, one more piece of, of history with that. Um, they brought their African selves sure, over right. into that expression. So it did not, it didn't come from a vacuum. Um, the, these were, these were practices. The ring sh- shouting, and 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 those kinds of things um, mm-hmm. were part of our African heritage and 
um, the heritage of our um, of our foreparents who were enslaved. And so, mm-hmm. um, it is wholly, altogether, uh, a part of both Christian and uh, and um, our, our biological heritage for those of us uh, who are the descendants of slaves. Yeah, and and here's what you see that spring out of that period. You see songs like "Swing Low," mm-hmm. "Sweet Chariot." Yeah. There's some escapism Mm -hmm. in these songs because they lament their current conditions Mm -hmm. and they hear scripture stories where God literally takes someone away Mm -hmm. in the chariot. In the chariot, yep. And they say, I want that same experience Mm -hmm. because I want to escape what I'm I'm going through now. Mm -hmm. Still away to Jesus. Mm -hmm. The same thing. Both of these were written by actually a black Native American. Yeah. Which also goes into the experience of black folks here and how they had similar experience with Native Americans and in some instances married yep. and lived with Native Americans. Yep. So yeah. so you see that similar experience there. Um, a lot of the stories or the songs or the hymns told stories. Yeah. So when you hear the song, Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child, this is what the slaves are experiencing mm-hmm. because they're being ripped from their parents. Mm-hmm. Their, their moms are being sold to other plantation owners. Mm-hmm. So when they pin that hymn and say, sometimes I feel like a motherless child, they literally are yes. motherless yes. in that context. So we write from experience. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I mean, that's nothing different from what we do today. Right. Most right. people write from their experiences, right? That's an that, important. Put a pin there. Most people write from their experience. Do you hear me? Yep. Okay. All yep. right. Yeah. They, they also had codes, right? Yep. So they couldn't be explicit in their subver- subversion. So when they wrote songs like I Got My Ticket, they're talking about the Underground Railroad. Yeah. Or songs like Go Down Moses. Mm-hmm. Those songs are code for the Underground Railroad. And the white slave owners are thinking they're singing their music. But at the same time, they're actually speaking a language, a coded language that helps them with the Underground Railroad. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the music has always been an expression of, again, emotion, psycho, uh, a person's psychological condition, and then a means of, of liberation and escape in every, in every iteration of it, especially for those um, who are uh, descendants of slaves. Yeah. And I've said this before. But it wouldn't be a growth factor podcast without some cultural appropriation, right? <laughs> right, right, right. So uh, we're going to talk about the Fisk Jubilee Singers, mm-hmm. uh, a group of African American singers who actually popularized our hymns mm-hmm. in the context of white spaces mm-hmm. because they heard our songs and they wanted to hear them in their venues. Yeah. So white folks would invite us and pay the Fisk Jubilee Singers to come and sing some of our music in their specific context. And they're, they're really the ones who actually popularized the slave spirituals in culture as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to talk about, I know this is going to sound weird to some people, but I want to talk about white gospel singers. Yeah. Because I don't think enough people know about what was going on at Moody Bible Church in Chicago. Mm-hmm which really shows kind of the crossover appeal to just rhythm, melodies, and flow because a young lady, two young ladies by the name of Ira Sankey and Fanny Crosby were musicians for the pastor at that church, D.L. Moody, Mm -hmm. in Chicago. They wrote songs that y'all might know. Blessed Assurance. Yep. Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. To God be the glory. Mm -hmm. Now listen, we took those remixed them Mm -hmm. and put them in our voice. But uh, these were two white women who actually wrote these songs for D.L. Moody, who was actually more progressive than most pastors in his time. And this is where I want to, I want to turn historically John on this kind of idea. So historically in European spaces prior to um, coming to uh, what we call uh, the U S and North America, there was a major controversy mm-hmm. about whether or not hymns were secular or not. Major, when I say major controversy, so, so what they did historically is that they sang the Psalms in the Bible yeah. and they tried to get as close to the rhythm 
of the Hebrew song as they could. Now, they, the songs were lost to them. The rhythms were lost to them. They didn't know them, but they tried to get as close to the rhythm. So that's what they, that's what they were doing. So then here come these people writing lyrics that aren't in the Bible. Now, it's about Jesus. It's about God. It's about the Bible. But they thought it should only be Psalm 52, Psalm 53. And so they considered them to be secular. These are people's ideas, not God's words. Um, hymns had, there was a major controversy. They, they, there was, there was, um, people were, uh, were maligned in newspapers. Mm-hmm. Churches split over singing hymns. Um, and then, you know, it's not as widespread as, as some would say, but there are, in fact, hymns that came from secular tunes. Um, and so some people said Martin Luther wrote all his hymns on bar tunes. That's not true. Uh, but there are hymns that have secular tunes as their origin, as their genesis. And so I tell people all the time, the song Amazing Grace Shall Always Be My Song of Praise is to the tune of Oh Danny Boy, The Pipes, The Pipes Are Calling. See, now you're messing them up. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> that, that, that Oh Danny Boy is a bar song. <laughs> oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. It's the same as Amazing Grace shall always be my song of praise. Same song, same melody, that is. Um, and so that controversy, if you were singing hymns in your church, you were, it was, it was like playing rock and roll <laughs> in your church in the 60s. You know what I mean? If that, it's like how gospel rap was considered so terrible. Oh, God, they're bringing that secular stuff in here. All it's always been um, influenced. Music has influenced music, whether sacred or secular. Mm-hmm. And so D.L. Moody is one of those ones who was progressive, uh, who was saying, well, you know, it, it's God glorifying. It's, it's, it helps community singing, corporate singing. Uh, and they called it, I love this, they called it regular singing. <laughs> <laughs> you you all over there doing that regular singing. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we saw also progress into the early 20th century. This is early Jim Crow period and our genres back then weren't what are aren't where they were today. Mm-hmm. So today we got R&B, rap, we got blues, we got jazz. They just used to clump everything in the same category, which is important. Yep. And they called them race records. Race records. Because they didn't have any other name of it for them, I guess. So they put gospel, jazz, blues, all those were together in the race records category. And they gave awards based on whoever made the best race record. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the early leaders in race records was actually a woman by the name of Rosetta Tharp. She was a beast. If you've never seen... There are videos out there, cheap, incredible uh, guitarist, super creative, inventive, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and say more, John, because I, I want to say more about her. She is from, she's actually from Cotton Plant, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. She was born and raised in Arkansas, a guitarist. Now, here's why that was a problem, because women in that culture did not play guitar. No. It was a masculine instrument. Mm-hmm. But everywhere she went, she shut it down. Yeah. So she would play on, on Saturday night at clubs and then come Sunday and tear the church up right. with yes. a guitar. Yes. So, yes. so that's where we start to see Sunday folks saying, oh, there's this Saturday-Sunday divide or tension that we got to deal with. Mm-hmm. And this is what's what Tharp dealt with every single day of her life. Yeah. Along comes Thomas Dorsey, which many of you may know. Um, he had a similar experience. He was a blues artist, Yep. moved up to Chicago, uh, played blues, actually moved back home for a short period where his wife and child died yep. in childbirth. And that's what led him to write a song called Precious Lord take my hand at that point before then he was he was outside of the church right they didn't like this blues artist doing anything in the church but something about that song that song that song. was so oily yes sir <laughs> <laughs> that they said hmm we got to figure out what to do with thomas dorsey he he would go on to say that he he despised going to church on Sunday because they dis- they judged him so much mm-hmm. because of what he did in the blues context. So they're still wrestling with that. Yeah, John, you know, you, you Rosetta Tharp, who 
who broke all kinds of barriers is also mm-hmm. the essentially the inventor of rock and roll. Facts. So the the early rock and roll um, legends, as it were, Chuck Berry, um, Little Richard, who says, you know, I started all of it. Little Richard says he started all of it because everybody was in his band. You know, uh, James <laughs> Brown was in his band and right. uh, all of those things. Um, but but the real beginning was Rosetta Tharp. Yep. She was the one, and she blended that gospel and then that radical style. Then you have Thomas Dorsey, who essentially is the father of soul music. So mm-hmm. when you when you start doing um, the musical um, history, you you you, I don't think I have to tell people that the blues, what was ragtime, jazz, what we now call R and B and rock and roll, although sometimes it's associated with uh, a more white context. All of these new genres of music, including hip hop and rap, came from gospel and spirituals. Facts. All of it. Uri, uri bit of it came from gospel and spirituals. Uh, and so these were the outgrowths of what people did when they sang in the Sunshine Band at church on Sunday morning. Uh, and they, mm-hmm. they took it and then expressed life different ways um, and, and brought musical expression forward. And so when that comes to the church, it's not the world coming to the church, it's the church coming back to itself. Oh, that's good. That, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, the church started it, and then those expressions grew, blossomed, developed, and then when it's brought into the church, the style, mm-hmm. um, the rhythm, those melodies, those, those, those kinds of things, it's just the church coming back to itself, John. Yeah, and what this history lesson really tells us is what is out of bounds today may be normalized 20 to 30 years from now. Absolutely so. Absolutely so. If, if you, the church maligned Walter Hawkins right. in the 70s for Oh Happy Day. Oh Happy mm-hmm. Day. They thought it was too secular. Yep. They, they, they killed him. <laughs> they, they did everything they could uh, to dog him, to talk about, and that's today one of the most conservative <laughs> songs you could possibly imagine from our perspective but when he put it out um it was considered terrible I, the mighty clouds of joy i'm a quartet lover mighty clouds of joy had a crossover hit called ride the mighty high mm-hmm. the church this you know oh it was so terrible that they would uh, do such things um that they would have this song and it would be played on the radio something must be wrong with them they must be evil but it's just a regular old quartet song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, th- you know, those things that, oh, my God, they're so shocking to us now. How dare they? 20 years, 30 years from now, it's just going to be it's just going to be gospel music. Facts. Yeah. Saw the same thing with Kurt Franklin. Mm-hmm. When oh, he, goodness. When Kurt Franklin came out, it was like, what are you doing? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you got salt and pepper on the track. Right. Right. <laughs> what yeah. is this? How dare you? How dare you? Kurt? And now well beloved mm-hmm. in the church community. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with gospel hip hop. When it first came out, what are y'all doing? Rapping those lyrics. Mm-hmm. Now look great. Gospel. A Grammy award-winning mm, yep. artist yeah. because folks are starting to normalize that. So I'll, we got to be I'll, careful. I'll give you. I'll give you a real-life example. Um, nineteen. This is nineteen ninety-six, which for some of you seems like a long time ago, but for me it was yesterday. Mm. As a freshman at Washington Bible College in Lanham, Maryland, one of the things students who stayed on campus had to do was sign a. a, a um, a behavioral kind of agreement. <laughs> one of the things, this is 96, John, wow. 96. One of the things on the agreement was they could not play secular music at all and they could not play Christian rock and roll. Wow. Even if the lyrics said you, you cannot play, this was 1996 year of our Lord. They, <laughs> they, they could not play Christian rock and roll on the campus of the Washington Bible College in Lanham, Maryland in 1996. I mean, they, wow. and today it's nothing. It, it's, it's literally not even, consi- not even thought about. Yeah, it's crazy. So now that they've gotten this history lesson mm-hmm. and got all of it, Let's turn to scripture and talk about music as we see it in scripture, kind of the forms of music and some of the things that we see. 
to help us understand uh, better this secular dimension that even even is attached to music itself, right? Yeah. So 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 the question is, can I listen to Kirk Franklin and Fifty Cent? Can I do that? Can I can I listen to James Cleveland and Jodeci? I I just I need to know. I need to know. You know, um, can can I listen to uh, can I listen to uh, um, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, and Summer Walker. I need to know. I need to know, John. <laughs> open your Bible and tell me, can I do? This is going to be good, then. Uh, let's start. So we talked about the principle of first mention several times in this series. Mm-hmm. Where does Scripture first mention a thing? So we're going to look at the first song in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, some would say that this is the first song. Some may say that Adam's poem to his wife is the first song, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yeah. But in Exodus chapter 15, we see the first song, at least to the Lord. Yes. Um, And that is in Exodus 15. And this is post deliverance. Uh, The folks have just been delivered from the Egyptians and the sea is closing up, has closed up. And their first inclination after being delivered is to sing. Yes. Um, So let me read some of this song in, in chapter 15. And then we'll talk a little bit about it. Verse 1, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his riders he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Mm -hmm. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is is his name pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk in the red sea the floods covered them they went down into the depths of like the stone like a stone your right hand O lord glorious in power your right hand O lord shatters the enemy i want to turn to this rhetorical question in verse 11 who is like you O lord among the gods who is like you majestic in holiness awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders, you stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. And then I want to read the end of this with our sister Miriam in verse 20. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. Dancing? Uh-oh. They danced. Dancing? <laughs> and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. I didn't read the whole thing, but mm-hmm. this is four stanzas yes. of a song that they sang after being delivered. Sang immediately after being delivered. And this is not stand in your seat, open a, open a uh, program, and sing words. This is a party, mm. John. Mm-hmm. It's a party. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a hootenanny. It's what I call a hullapalooza. <laughs> they are beating tambourines. Yep. They're dancing. Now, let me say something. If you were a slave a few days ago, and then God opens up the Red Sea. Yes, sir. You make it across, and the people trying to kill you drown. I think that deserves a two-step. It's got I, to. I think that deserves a, a Roger Rabbit. I think it deserves... <laughs> I think it deserves the Watusi. I don't know Cabbage Patch. Something ought to happen um, that that <laughs> you respond in a way that makes um, that makes uh, makes sense, mm-hmm. given the degree the, the 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 largeness of the deliverance should determine the energy with which you you celebrate. I mean, and we've always done that. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, Juneteenth. Yes. We got a whole celebration mm-hmm. around that freedom and that deliverance. Mm-hmm. So this isn't anything that is unique to the human experience. There's something connected between being set free and being mm-hmm. delivered and being able to celebrate that in ways that demonstrates your gratefulness and your thankfulness. Um, so that's what we see here in this particular text. It's a song. And the interesting thing is that Miriam here is called a prophetess. Oh man, John, Uh-oh. I was gonna, I was just gonna let that one go. I was gonna let it go. You know I was gonna let it go. It. Yeah, I was gonna let that one go because 
she's not just a song leader. Mm-hmm. Clearly, yeah. prophets, and, and prophets don't just, and if you've been hanging out with us, you know, prophets don't just tell the future. They proclaim the word. Yeah. Prophet is synonymous with preacher. Mm-hmm. Miriam is one of the ones who is disseminating the word of God as it's revealed to Moses, it's given to Aaron, and Miriam is also mm-hmm. out preaching to the people. Yeah. Then she picks up the tambourine. She's already known as a prophetess. Then she picks up the tambourine, starts singing and dancing, so she's a song leader second, and, and a prophetess first. Yeah. Yeah, and and this text is very intentional about calling her that because that's exactly what she's done. Yeah, let's look at uh, another text with another musician who we're familiar with, um, but who is someone that um, actually his musical skills led him into a space that continued his leadership. I would say. Yeah. So First Samuel chapter sixteen, this addresses David as a musician. And uh, he's called by Saul in this context. So I'm going to read verses 14 through 23. But want to just say before that, that David is actually anointed king mm-hmm. prior to this. Yes, he's, he's already been anointed. He knows he's been anointed king by the prophet Samuel yeah. at this time. Yeah. And prior to that, he isn't even named in that anointing. No. He's just Jesse's youngest boy. Yep. So here in verse number 14, it says, Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. This is right after Samuel anointed King um, David king. And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you Seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who who is skillful in playing a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul, entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse. I know why you chuckled. I'm, I'm saying, trying, <laughs> trying to hold myself. <laughs> saying, let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever a harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played, with his hand, played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Okay, quick Bible nerd. Armor bearer. I knew that was coming. Is not a church position. Oh, help, the, help the people, it's please. Not, it's not a church position. We're all servants. We're all servants. People who serve, watch the pastor's back, those kind of things, are our fellow servants. Pastor or preacher that day is carrying the word, and you know. Now I'm not trying to I'm not trying to knock anybody's hustle. I'm really not. I'm not. I, I don't want to be a hater, but I prefer to carry my own Bible to the pulpit and open it. Um, Generally speaking, the guys who hang with me have to fight me to get my book bag off of me. I'm just, but but armor bearer is not a official. They literally carried the heavy armor mm-hmm. of the king or a great warrior. But P, the Bible says the word is the sword. So <laughs> I want to carry a sword so I can be your armor bearer. But see, the problem is. I'm supposed to always have on the whole armor of God. Come on. <laughs> so, let's get to what we're talking no, about. I'm glad, you, addre- we talk I'm about glad you addressed that. We're talking, about we're talking about music. We're talking about music. We're talking about David mm-hmm. actually becoming the armor bearer for Saul. Think yeah. about this. Now, David is anointed king, mm-hmm. and this is how he's brought into the court to serve, not to lead first. No to play this liar for the king and serve him in that capacity while knowing 
that he's already been anointed king. Yeah, and it's so it's so rich. It's so rich. The layers of this are so rich. Mm-hmm. This this what uh, ESV is translating harmful spirit. Uh, Old King James translates it evil, which throws people off. Sometimes it doesn't mean evil mm-hmm. in the sense of satanic. Uh, it just means that it was troubling him. God would not let Saul rest. Mm-hmm. That's what it means. Mm-hmm. And and David comes in and music. We uh, we see then the power of music. Music has the ability to express mood, but also to create mood, which is very important. It, music is one of, the, one of the few things, John, that, that both sides of the brain can process at the same time. Yeah. Um, it, is, it is both artistic and scientific, and both sides of the brain are engaged. This is why when we learned our ABCs, we didn't learn A, B, C, D, we learned A, B, C, D, because music <laughs> engages both sides of the brain. This is why people can memorize some of y'all say, oh, you can remember that song, you should be able to remember your math. Well, no, <laughs> because the song is more attached to the brain mm. because of the power of music. Now, if you sing the math to your kid, then they'll remember it better. Yeah. Um, but, but, but the music is easily, you can connect with it easily. It can create or manifest or amplify mood easily, and that's what's happening in this text. David mm. is playing a calming melody that soothes Saul even when God is giving Saul a restlessness as a result of his disobedience and and sense of guilt. Yeah, yeah, and that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing that that music being that soothing component mm-hmm. for him. So let's talk a little. We can't talk about music without talking about the book that is composed of the music of the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. And we're going to look at a couple of Psalms here. Uh, we might not look at all of them, but I want to make sure we get to a couple of them. We'll start with Psalm 113, but the book itself is even laid out in a way in five books. Mm-hmm. Um, it's laid out in a form or structure that is musical in a sense. Yes. Um, it's meant to reflect the law or the Torah, which is mm-hmm. the first five books. So these five books reflect the law, which is what you see in Psalm 1 where he talks about the law right. and that being the introduction. It's all about law and Messiah. That's yes. what Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 is about. And then the rest of the Psalms, 3 through 150, is the lyrics mm-hmm. of those two realities. Yes, yes. The, 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 the law which, it, which explains our need for redemption mm-hmm. and the Messiah who is the Redeemer. Yeah. And these these five books, and, and just, again, one of those things that I got to say every time we come to these kinds of, of studies, psalms, each of these is an individual song, yep. individual song. They're not written, uh, or, or we don't have them in our Bible, in the order they were written. They weren't written together. A couple of them have partners, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are partnering psalms. Psalm 23, uh, 22, 23, and 24 are represented a trinity of psalms that that were written together or about uh thereabouts but but they're individual so psalms the book of psalms the, there are no chapters no nope. this is not psalms chapter 113 is the 113th psalm psalm number 113 mm. yeah that's good yeah so we're not going to read all of these i want you all to write down psalm one and two we just talked about those psalm one is a wisdom psalm psalm two is a royal psalm I want you to write down one Psalm 130 because Pastor Pointer preached on this in our series just this summer. So I know y'all got that one memorized and you got all the sermon points <laughs> yep, there. Exactly, exactly. So, so that penitential psalm. But I do want to look at this praise, a Hallel psalm, and then the Thanksgiving psalm in 136. And, and, and John, so let's give them these categories. So psalms yeah. are, these books are divided into kind of five categories. They're the praise psalms or Hallel the word that is the root word for hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Um, there are the confessional psalms or penitential psalms. That's the that's the God I'm sorry psalm. Um, there is psalms of thanksgiving with God you've just been good and ain't, ain't he all right. It's those kind of psalms. There are wisdom psalms. That's psalms that are designed to teach you something. Psalms that you are to memorize and read uh, and sing because they have spiritual truths embedded in them. That And then royal psalms would celebrate um, from the psalmist's perspective the coming Messiah from our perspective, the Messiah who has come. Mm, yeah. yeah. So Psalms 113 through 118 are Halil Psalms, and they're generally sang before the Passover meal, mm-hmm. as we think through that before and after. And they show you p- causes for praise, for deliverance. Yeah. And you see that in Psalm 113 here. Praise the Lord. 
Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all the nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts, lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. Now you see what's called an inclusio yeah. in this text. You see praise the Lord to begin and then praise the Lord as an ending yes. here. And that's a song that they they generally do that in their songs here in this particular context. The point is emphasis. It, it, it opens this way, it closes this way, and the point is everything between those two, praise the Lord's, should result in praising the Lord. Uh, so that that's the, it's it, you know, Hebrew poetry, these songs are so beautiful um, when you look at the construction and the intentionality, yeah. the syllables in, in, the, in the stanzas or strophes, and the uh, rhythmic way in which they were to be sung. Um, they, they're really remarkable pieces, works of art yeah. um, that, that express all kinds of the full gamut of human emotions. Um, mm. and, and here's the thing, John, about especially the Old Testament songs, Book of Psalms and other places, the, peop the subjects of the scripture that the scripture sings about mm. are very wide and varied. Every psalm is not a hallelujah psalm. Nope. Some psalms are psalms of lament. We've talked about this before, but I want to say it again. Some psalms are psalms of lament. The blues, they are, they are literally the blues. The, there are psalms in your Bible that are the blues. There's an entire book of your Bible <laughs> that's five blues songs. It's called Lamentations. Mm -hmm. There's love songs in the Bible. It could be that Adam's... Um, um, statement to Eve is a song of poetry, but we talked about it um, on an earlier uh, episode. The Song of Solomon is not Hallelujah, Praise the Lord. It's a love song. Mm -hmm. It's a love song. We talked about it in an earlier episode. We don't have time to go into it today, but, but John, it's a love song. So these varying, mm -hmm. the blues, love songs, we got all of that mm -hmm. in the Bible. Mm -hmm. In the Bible. So you're saying that was their version of Marvin Gaye. Listen, man. They were, <laughs> this Solomon Smokey Robinson going on, man. This is, you know what I'm saying? This is, this is, this is Solomon slash babyface. I mean, this is, <laughs> they are, these are love songs that talked about intimacy and love and, and in some ways would be considered explicit, those kinds of things. That's all, all of that kind of music is in the Bible. Mm. That's what I want to get to. Yeah. And let's look at Psalm 136, and mm -hmm. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it, it demonstrates something that I think is important for us, especially our context, when you think about this idea of call and response. And yeah. we'll unpack that just a little bit. So Psalm 136, listen to how it starts. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 2, give thanks to the, to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of Lords for his steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist goes on and every first part of the refrain is a new component of who God is. Mm -hmm. And then the response is his steadfast love or his hesed endures forever. So yeah. most people think that the priest read the first part of this verse mm -hmm. and the people responded with that refrain, his steadfast love endures forever. Yeah, yeah, it, it that call and response again. These are the Bible is an African book. These African people call and response is a part of the of the African experience, and therefore a part of the Black American experience. It mm. is it is innate <laughs> into into who we are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jesus sang oh, man. songs. Yes, sir. John, we're gonna talk about John. It. I, I want to. <laughs> I want to get to this because I want, because y'all who are dry and dead in church and stuff like that, Whew. I want to get to you. I, I, I want to get to you. I want to get to you. Yep. Oh, I just don't express myself like that. Oh, I'm not emotional. You are a liar. You're, you are emotional. 
You just think you should not be or you don't want to be or you're embarrassed to be emotional in church. That's what it is. But the Jesus, God's Joan Jesus, was was a was a was a mover. He he was a he he wasn't dry. It ain't wasn't no dry Jesus. And that's what we see here in Mark 14, mm-hmm. chapter 14. He just celebrated the Passover with the disciples, and he's here at the Lord's Supper. We're going to read verses 22 through 26. Verse 22, and as they were eating, he took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, "This is my take this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then look at what happens in verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Wait a second. Jesus is out here singing in these streets? He's singing. He's singing. He's singing, John. A halal song. Facts. The, the end of the Passover is you sing a halal song, mm. a upbeat, move your feet, clap your hands, mm. stomp halal song. That's how you end the Passover. Mm. And they, your Jesus, did. I, I'm, I'm gonna mess you. I'm gonna mess you up about your Jesus too. Um, <laughs> um, we're not gonna turn there, but John chapter two, mm. the miracle where Jesus turns water into wine. Yep. Um, at weddings, you sing and dance. Mm-hmm. You sang and danced at weddings. You sang what? And you danced. Jesus, the text is explicit to say, Jesus and his disciples were invited and mm-hmm. they were there. Mm-hmm. Jesus participated. If you didn't participate, there was a social uh, um, a violation happening there. Mm-hmm. Jesus sang and danced at the wedding reception before. He and probably after he turned the water to wine. See, see now you're messing up this dry, boring Jesus. So, so, so Jesus, Jesus, John, that wasn't a halal song. Mm. Those weren't halal songs. They were just, <laughs> they would be what we would call mm. secular music. Uh oh. That's John chapter. Jesus would have been. <laughs> Singing and dancing too, second music in wow. John chapter two. Yeah, he went to parties. Mm. Yeah, that's why they accused him of being a drunk. And they, I think, music was a part of that culture in them parties too. Every like it is <laughs> ours. Every two things are gonna be at every gathering of of y'all and us. Somebody's gonna bring some food and somebody gonna play some music. I would say somebody gonna play some spades too, but some of y'all don't know how to. All right, so so. Uh, let's talk about this Hallel song quickly because I think uh, some scholars say that they sang Psalm 118 mm-hmm. and specifically in verse 17 it says I shall live and not die Yeah, and this is right before Jesus goes into Gethsemane, Gethsemane and wrestles with what God is about to have him do Yeah, so he draws on this song that he's just sang mm-hmm to know that that God is going to cause him to live and not die, even yeah. when he's going to be crucified. Yeah, it, it, the, the, the impending agony of the cross mm. that Jesus explicitly says he does not want to go through, one of the things that gives him strength to do it is the song in his it's heart. It's a song. Yeah, that's good. So let's talk about the song in the heart of another couple of people. People know these verses. They love these verses. But I want to look at Paul and Silas Mm -hmm. in Acts chapter 16. They're in prison at Philippi. Mm -hmm. They thought they had some ministry success, but uh, (laughs) turned real quickly for them as they are put in prison in Philippi. And I'm going to read verses 23 through 26, I believe. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, this is the crowd, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison Mm -hmm. and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, people love that text, Mm -hmm. about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. That, That 
phrase, they were listening intently. Yes. We want to see what you do yes. when you get locked up mm-hmm. and how you approach it. So yep. they're listening intently, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. It would go on to say that the jailer gets scared yep. because if you let your prisoners escape, yep. you're going to die yourself. You have to die. You you die in their place. Yeah. So Paul essentially calls out and says, no, we're still here, which ultimately leads to that jailer's conversion. Mm-hmm. But we see here as they are locked up, as they are in dire straits, they turn to praying and singing hymns to God. John, the verbs in the Greek here are very, very critical because we often hear it taught or preached or, or see it because we think it, 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 it happens quickly. Mm. At midnight, they start singing. No, 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 no. Yeah. At midnight is when the earthquake happened. Yeah. Around midnight. They had been singing. Mm. That's, this, that's what it is. They were praying and singing. Um, singing hymns to God again, singing the Psalter, singing the Psalms uh, in the Old Covenant, mm-hmm. um, and and the prisoners were listening to them. So they this was an ongoing thing. They didn't they didn't sing two lines of a song and then and then clap and then there was an earthquake. Mm-hmm. They were singing songs. How many? I don't know. How long? I don't know. But I I know it was not an immediate thing that happened because it mm-hmm. was it the Greek is in. The ongoing sense they were singing, mm. um, and and their persistence in that praise. Um, years ago, I heard a preacher saying, "This is real preaching, but I love it." Um, <laughs> that God didn't shake the earth and and open the doors to get out uh, to let Paul and Silas out. God shook the earth and opened the doors so that he could get in. <laughs> that's real. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. That's, that's good. But but again, music, mm. music again as a as a as a response. Mm. Uh, to tr- to trouble to 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 struggle. They were making it through the night. That's good because of their songs. Yeah, and I love what Tertullian says here. He says the legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. Yes, sir. And that's what Paul and Silas here are experiencing. And Paul would go on to write to this same church at Philippi mm-hmm. when he's imprisoned again. Yeah, and says rejoice in the Lord always. Yep. He and says again, I say. Yeah, and he says it was granted to you to believe but also to suffer for his sake, being engaged in the same conflict that you know I had before yeah. and know I'm dealing with right now. And I'm still rejoicing that book of joy that he writes to them. And, and in that Philippian community is this jailer and his family mm-hmm. so that he is also the recipient, a recipient of the original letter from Paul wow. to the book at, uh, to, to uh, the people in Philippi. Wow. I, I imagine he wept as he read that letter. Mm-hmm. The guy that I locked up. Yep. Wow. Yeah. 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 So uh, we're going to look at Revelation 19, but I want folks to write down these other texts because we've already looked at Ephesians 5 in uh, another one of our sessions. So write down Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, Colossians 3, 16 and 17, and then James chapter 5, verse 13. But I want to wind up here in Revelation 19, um, verses 6 through 8. And this is a a marriage supper. Yes, sir. A banquet. Yes, sir. That we see here in Revelation chapter number 19. And he says this in verse six. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Hallelujah. For the Lord, our God, almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. This is a picture of the consummation of Jesus's color um, kingdom. Um, After all that goes on through the first 18 chapters where we see this other culture where they do have a feast, a similar feast. But here we see a great multitude of people Mm -hmm. who are singing as the bride of Christ at this marriage supper, at this marriage event. So we see 
this event even culminating in the song. As a matter of fact, if you read through Revelation, as much as they do anything else, there's a lot of singing. They sing in songs. Singing in Revelation. Yeah. And and John, the the, the that last line of verse six, yeah. the explanation. So with fine the the it's granted her the church, it's granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And here's what it is. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds yeah, that's good. of the saints. Yeah. That the that the song is a culmination of the salvation, the salvific work of Jesus Christ, and the service of the saints. Hmm. When 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 that ultimate victory is won, we'll sing about the fact that we were saved by grace and served for his glory. That's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So the ultimate question that we asked here. As a Christian, mm-hmm. can I listen to secular music? Y'all done went through this Bible, <laughs> but I just need you to answer this one question. Can I, as a Christian, yeah. listen to secular music? And John, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address because someone's saying, well, what about those scriptures that talk about revelries? Mm-hmm. What about that? Listen, that's not just regular parties. Those were yeah. orgies in the name of of Bacchus, Dionysius, if you've been hanging out with us, um, these Roman or Greek gods of, of wine and, and harvest and those kind of things, when Paul says don't do that, hmm. he's saying don't engage in these sexually perverse, idolatrous gatherings. Hmm. That's what those are. So it, it's not y'all playing... Frankie Beverly at the cookout. <laughs> um, and, and, and John, that's, that's why I want to land the plane here. It's the expression of the soul in what we would call gospel music mm. or what we would call secular music. The genuine, honest expression of the soul is normative in Scripture. Mm. It's, it's normal. Um, God is a God who does things just for aesthetics just for the beauty of them. Artistically, God just does things. And in much of the creativity God has given humanity is expressed musically. Music is powerful. It, 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 cre- it can create and facilitate moves and all of those things. But you are not going to hell, and nobody else is going to hell, for listening to a song that, that doesn't have Jesus in, in the lyrics. Yeah. Some, of the, some of the gospel songs y'all like, are worse than some of the secular songs because some of the gospel songs you like are perversions of the gospel. I wish I had time. Oh, you don't don't even want to go there. <laughs> I wish I had time. <laughs> some of your favorite gospel songs, yeah. Whole are, albums. Are, are perversions of the gospel, and that's worse. Mm. That's worse. That's a whole episode. That, yeah, that's that's worse than listening to Cool Moe D. <sighs> How you like me now? That's, I'm just telling you that that genuine expression of the soul is a God-given gift. Yeah. That's 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 where we gotta land, man. That's yeah. where we gotta land. And and here's here's the but here's the B side of that, John. And we're over time, but I need I need to give somebody this. The B side of that is you cannot be so you cannot be energetic, involved, moved, happy, listening to songs that are not praise direct praise, direct worship to God, and then hear God's praise and be unmoved Mm. or uninvolved. You shouldn't go to the concert and sing um, Beyonce's lyrics loud and screaming it and then come to church and let Darius and the praise team sing to you when you're supposed to be singing to God. Mm. That's wrong. Open your mouth, <laughs> sing, participate, move. That's what Jesus did in worship. That is what the old covenant did. Uh, the old covenant believers did. David danced before the Lord with all his might. Mm. That's what your grandmama did. <laughs> that's what that's what our, our ancestors did. You know, folk want to call on the ancestors. The ancestors were energetic and 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 involved in worshiping God. And so your stillness and, 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 and dryness in worship is an affront 
to all of those folks, especially when you're going and you rapping Jay-Z's lyrics with him, over him, in a concert mm. or in your car riding down the street. That's, that's, that, that's wrong. Yeah. That's wrong. That's good. Well, thank you guys for joining us on this episode of the Growth Factor podcast where you learned that it's okay to listen to the greatest R&B group of all time, Jodeci. Okay, make sure you go out and listen to it. That's funny. Um, so we're going to have you all join us next episode as we talk about organized religion. I'm really looking forward to that episode because we're both church history nerds as well as Bible nerds, so that's going to be good. So make sure you all tune in there. Before you do that, though, make sure you go over and subscribe to the podcast, follow the podcast, and then join our Grow Factor group on Facebook. We're a growing community. Continue resources over there. We'd love for you to join us over there. Until next time, we'll see you next go round on the Growth Factor. This has been the Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Be sure to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and join our Facebook group, The Growth Factor, for daily motivational content. Let's keep the conversation going. Thank you for listening. Thank you.